Friends, your, your giving uh, through our church has really made a, a significant impact in the lives of so many people in our community this year. And some of the things that we've accomplished include helping the homeless and the displaced through our support of the Burrito Project, as well as our partnership with Oasis Compassion Agency. We've reached out to orphans and to those in foster care through our connection with 4Kids South Florida. And we've helped women facing crisis pregnancies and their unborn babies through our partnership with First Care Family Resources. And through the giving of our church, we've also impacted the lives of people around the world. Hundreds of pastors and their families have been affected in places like Colombia, persecuted pastors that were helped through our partnership with Voice of the Martyrs. And this year, through the, the generosity and compassion of people in our church family, you've supported over 38 orphans in orphanages in Honduras and Bolivia. And we actually had a team of people, 20 people who went down to Honduras this summer to help with one of our construction projects there so that kids will have hope and a future. And in 2017, we set a new giving record with Samaritan's Purse through Operation Christmas Child. Our church contributed 311 shoe boxes. These were boxes filled with gifts for kids. And then we were also a collection center for the community and another 109 boxes were donated. So we have a new record of 420 shoe boxes that went to kids around the world so they could hear the story of Christmas and know that there's a God who loves them. This past week, we mailed out um, some information to people here in our church family about what your giving has accomplished throughout the year. And you can also get a copy of that in the lobby after the service tonight. And when it comes to giving, I'd like to encourage you to consider making a year-end gift to our ministry over and above your usual giving. And I'd also like to mention that we do have offering boxes here in this room and in the lobby if you'd like to do that tonight. And let me say this. As your pastor, I am so thankful for the ways that you've been giving to others this year. And I pray that in the year to come, in 2018, God will give us even more opportunities to make a difference in our church, in our community, and around the world. Tonight, around the world, people are celebrating the story of Christmas. And when it comes to the story of Christmas, I have a question for you. What do you think of when you hear this word? Are you ready? The word star. What comes to mind when you hear the word star? Now, kids, let me ask you this. Who is the most famous reindeer of all? Does anybody know? You can just shell it out. Who is it? Okay, and why is he so famous? Because he has a what? Okay, he has a red nose. Now, I found out something about Rudolph that I didn't know this week. You know, Christmas Eve is really busy, right? And he has a lot of work to do. And I understand that, that Rudolph likes to drink coffee. And because he drinks so much coffee, he's often referred to as Santa's Starbuck. Did you know that? It's a little known fact. All right. Now, when you hear the word star, moving right along, maybe you think of somebody from the world of sports, an outstanding athlete, somebody who's a star like this individual. Or... Maybe when you hear the word star, you think of a, a Disney film. There's a really famous film. The film is Pinocchio, and there was a, a song that was sung by Jiminy Cricket. When you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Great. And if you've ever taken piano lessons, you've probably encountered this star song, Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star, How I Wonder What You Are. And for those of you who like science fiction, when you hear the word star, you may think of this iconic TV show, which is what? Yes, here's the original cast of Star Trek. Now, when it comes to stars, how many stars do you think there are 
in the Milky Way galaxy? Well, let's, let's ask somebody who knows. Are you ready? Siri, how many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy? Yes, you, Siri. How many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy? She's thinking about it. She had a really hard time with this first service. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, because Siri, I don't know what's happening with her Christmas Eve. She's probably busy answering so many other questions, like, what did my wife get me for Christmas? But there are between 200 billion and 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, 2,000 years ago, there was a very unusual star that guided some characters in a Christmas story to Jesus. And tonight, I want you to think with me about the story of the wise men. Now, I want us to see how this story connects with what's happening in your life and my life tonight. I read something this week about the wise men and the gifts they gave to Jesus, and it said this, and I quote, According to the book of Matthew, the wise men gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are simple words, but if we analyze them carefully, we discover an important yet often overlooked theological fact. There is no mention of wrapping paper. The words wrapping paper do not appear in the Bible. This is important because the people giving these gifts had two characteristics. They were wise and they were men. That's why there's no mention of wrapping paper in terms of the wise men. You'll get it. It just takes a few minutes. I read something else this week about how Christmas might have been different if the people seeking Jesus happened to be three wise women instead of three wise men. For example, this was one, one of the speculations. They probably would have stopped and asked for directions to the stable instead of going to King Herod. Number two, they would have arrived on time and helped deliver the baby. And number three, they would have helped clean the stable and brought a practical gift for the family like a casserole. Of course, one of the problems with that perspective is that the wise men, according to the Bible, were not at the stable where baby Jesus was born. They, they found him later at a house, and he was with Mary. And we don't really know how old Jesus was when the wise men finally met him, but we do know this, that meeting Jesus and worshiping Jesus changes people's lives. And so tonight, I want us to look at what the Bible says about the wise men and their search for Jesus because there are some very significant things, life-changing things that we can learn. So here is the story recorded in Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So how does Herod respond? Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, 
they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And here's how the story concludes. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Can you imagine what that was like? If you were Mary, seeing these strange travelers from another land come and fall down and worship this child named Jesus. And the story goes on and says, Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Whenever you read a Bible story and you see a word repeated, in this case, the word worship, that's a clue in terms of what God is saying to us and what he wants us to learn. So what do we learn from the story about the wise men? Well, the first thing we learn is this, that like the wise men, we were made to worship. Every single one of us was created with this deep desire to worship, to have something at the center of our lives that gives us meaning and purpose, something or someone that we can really give ourselves to. Now, the story tells us that the wise men had come to worship Jesus. Herod, on the other hand, only says that he wants to worship Jesus, and as you read the story, it's clear that that's an outright lie because the only person that Herod worships is Herod. And the only thing that Herod worships is power, and he wants to use his power to get rid of Jesus, the very child the wise men are seeking to worship. And that raises a really important question. Why do these wise men want to worship Jesus? And here's the answer, because God created a desire in their hearts to worship Jesus, and God guided them to Jesus so they could worship him. If you're a Christian tonight, somebody who's made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, that's true of you. God, at some point in your life, created a desire in your heart to seek Jesus and to worship him. Now, when it comes to the wise men, there are often a lot of common questions like, who are these, these characters in the Bible? Where did they come from? How did God guide them? And the fact is that the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the wise men. All we really know for sure is that they came from the east to Jerusalem. Now, many people believe that they were actually astrologers from the nation of Persia, which was a very important nation in Bible times. It's where modern-day Iraq and Iran are now located. And there was a church leader in the second century. His name was Tertullian. And he suggested that the wise men were actually kings because there's a prophecy in the Old Testament about a time when kings would come and worship the Messiah. He also suggested that there were three kings because how many gifts were given to Jesus? Yeah, three gifts, so would make sense that there were probably three kings. Now, if you had been a Jewish person reading Matthew's account of the story, you probably would not have liked the wise men. In fact, it would be like they had two strikes against them. Strike number one is that they were Jewish, and they were realizing these wise men are not Jews, they're not like us. And the second thing is this, these wise men were probably astrologers. And in the Old Testament, astrology was strictly forbidden. You could be executed for being an astrologer. So why would God guide these non-Jewish, Old Testament law-breaking men to find Jesus? Well, because God loves people from every nation. God loves people regardless of who they are and what they believe, and that's so important for us to remember. You don't have to be from any particular place, and you don't have to be from any particular race for God to love you and to guide you to Jesus. And in this story, God uses this very unusual star to guide these wise men to Jesus. And in much the same way, God uses different things in our lives to guide us to Christ. Some of you tonight 
had been guided to Jesus by, by problems, by pressure, by pain. Often we're guided to, to Jesus by the people that God places in our path. I am so thankful tonight for the people that God has placed in my life that have helped guide me to Jesus so that I could find him and worship him and have him at the center of my life. And listen, if you're a Christian tonight, this is a great time to say, God, thank you. Thank you for the stars that you put in my life. God, thank you for the problems. Thank you for the people that helped guide me to Jesus. And like the wise men, we may not find Jesus exactly where we expect. The wise men probably expected to find Jesus in a palace. After all, he was born king of the Jews. That's probably why they went to Herod, thinking that Jesus would be in Herod's palace. But instead, they find him where? In an ordinary house in a small village. Today, Jesus can be found in all kinds of ordinary places. You can find him in an office. You can find him in a boardroom. You can find him in a hospital room. You can find Jesus in an airplane, especially one with engine trouble. You can find Jesus in all kinds of places. And not only that, this journey took a long time. The wise men traveled over a thousand miles, but they never gave up. They kept going, and God kept guiding them until they found Jesus. And that's true for us. When we're serious about trying to find Jesus, God will keep guiding us until we find him. And that brings us to something else that we learned from this story, and it's this, that in order to worship Jesus, we need to understand who he is and what he's done for us. And that's what this story reveals, especially the gifts that are given to Jesus. They point to who he is and what he came to do. Now, I said earlier that the gifts were not wrapped, which is probably true. But let me do this. Let me just talk to you just for a few moments about the gifts that were given to Jesus and what they reveal. Now, the first gift, does anybody know what the first gift given by the wise men was? Gold. Now, gold was typically given to a king. It symbolized royalty. And even as a, an infant, even as a small child, Jesus was called the king of the Jews. And we know this, that when Jesus was crucified, there was a sign nailed above his head. It was actually written in three different languages so everybody would know what it said. And this is what that sign said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So this child, Jesus, is acknowledged as a king because he was given the gift of gold. Now, what is the second gift that the wise men gave Jesus? Who can tell me? frankincense and this actually comes from trees it was highly prized for its fragrance and it was used in worship to symbolize prayers rising to God the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest that he prays for us and listen if you're a believer tonight be encouraged because Jesus prays for you and that's what this gift of frankincense symbolizes so there was gold there was frankincense and what else what was the third gift it was myrrh, and was probably in a much smaller package than this. Myrrh is actually another substance that comes from trees, and it was used for all kinds of medicinal purposes, but it was used for something almost exclusively, for embalming. Now, doesn't that seem strange that a king would give a gift of myrrh, something used for embalming, to a small child? But it pointed to the fact that Jesus was going to die and that he was going to lay down his life for us because that's exactly why he came to our world. And so this story of, of the wise men really helps us understand what Christmas is all about because like the wise men, we were made to worship. God made us so that we would know him and love him and have him at the center of our lives. But the reality is that we come into this world with a heart that worships things other than God. 
You see, when you read the Bible, God says, here's how I want you to live. I want you to have me at the center of your life. In fact, the very first commandment that God gives to his people is, you shall have no other gods before me. I want first place in your life. And God also says, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, does anybody do that perfectly? Well, no. And the Bible calls that sin. We all have fallen short of the way God wants us to live. As the Bible says, we fall short of his glorious standard. And our sin separates us from God because God's holy and we're not. And not only that, God is a just God, which means that because of his very nature, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And the Bible's clear that just punishment is to die and to be separated from him forever. That's some pretty bad news. But the good news of Christmas is that God loves us in ways that are hard for us to even understand or imagine. The Bible says there's one God, and this one God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And on a dark night in an obscure town on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, God the Father sent God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, the light of the world, was born as a baby in Bethlehem. And then Jesus grows up, and he starts to travel around with this incredible message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent means to turn away from your sin, to turn toward God. Jesus was calling people to believe in him, that he's a king who came to establish a kingdom so that people could be reconciled to God. And this is what Jesus does. He allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And on the cross, God's willing to do this, to take our sin and put them on Jesus and punish him in our place. And on that day that Jesus is crucified, as he is suspended between heaven and earth, the sky grows dark. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus dies alone. He dies forsaken. So that we would never have to know that kind of pain and loneliness. And then three days later, with all of heaven watching, Jesus rises from the dead to offer us a new life question is, how do you receive this offer, this gift of a new life from Jesus? Because that's what Christmas is all about. Well, we said that Christmas is about gift giving, so think with me just for a moment about this. What if I went out and got my wife, Chris, a really special gift for Christmas? And tomorrow morning, she wraps, unwraps the gift, and man, I have hit a home run. I mean, I went out and I bought her this dress and it's just the right size and just the right color and just the right style. And she takes it out and says, oh, I, I just love it. It's great. And I said, honey, oh, man, I'm just so glad you love this gift. Um, by the way, you owe me $250. What do you think would happen? I don't know either, but it probably wouldn't be good. <laughs> Why is that? Because you don't ask somebody to pay for a gift. It's a gift. You don't, you don't earn a gift. In fact, you don't even deserve a gift. And you see, God comes to us and says, listen, my son has paid for your sins. I want you to have a gift. It's a new life. And you accept the gift by just saying, hey, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I believe you died for my sins, and I want to follow you. I want to accept this new life. And this new life is a life of worship. Because worship is simply expressing your love to God for who he is and what he's done for you. And that brings us to the last thing that I want you to see tonight and it's this, that true worship prepares us to follow God's instructions. True worship prepares us to follow God's instructions. In the story of the wise men, they finally find Jesus, and they worship Jesus, and then they're warned not to go back to Herod, because Herod wants to 
destroy baby Jesus. Now, this is really a serious matter for the wise men because if they obey the instructions that God's given them, they could be guilty of treason. They could be executed. So what do they do? They take the long way home. And that decision was probably something that led to a much more difficult journey. It was a more costly journey. But obedience to God is often that way, isn't it? Sometimes it is more difficult. Sometimes it is more costly. But it's definitely worth it. Because following God's instructions is how we express love to Him. It is actually an act of worship. And friends, tonight, what I want you to see about Christmas is that Christmas is so much more than than gifts and lights and decorations and parties and that, that special holiday feeling. Christmas is about worship. So I want to ask you a really, really important question, one that I hope you will honestly answer. Tonight, what's at the center of your life? Who or what do you worship? 